In today's show, we're talking Indiana Pacers with the host of the Locked On Pacers podcast. So much intrigue with this team backcourt, frontcourt, all over the roster. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter, as always, at RedRock underscore Beeble and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. The podcasts are going to be coming thick and fast today. Three team preview shows, I think. I'm trying to get them all banged out this week, if not in the first couple of days of next week. So we're going to go right through them all this week. And then we'll probably start doing some mock drafts and stuff uh, maybe next week. Maybe. We'll see how that goes. But we're going to talk Indiana Pacers today. So we might as well uh, get it on. Let's get it on, Gilly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's bring you back in. He is the host of the Locked On Pacers podcast. Tony East is here. Back with me, Tone. Welcome. Happy to be here. Happy to talk about the Indiana Pacers from a fantasy perspective, Josh. Now, I know that yeah, just before we went to air, you, I said I'm excited to talk about this team because they're exciting. Because they are exciting from a fantasy perspective. And you said, yeah, I don't think too many people are thinking that from the Pacers' point of things. But they are. There's young players. There's exciting players. There's players to build around. It's, you know what? I would much rather this team go out there and lose 60 games and be fun with Turner and Jackson and Halliburton. Turner, if he's there, who knows? And Mathurin, than seeing TJ McConnell dribble the ball for 21 seconds and then yeah, miss, miss a three-pointer. That's not fun. I'd rather see some fun and development and things moving forward in the future. And we're going to talk about that right now. We might as well do it, Tony, because how I start all these shows by looking at who, who came. Well, didn't mean to say that. Who is in the team and uh, who left? Arriving, Benedict Matherin, Aaron Neesmith and Daniel Tice in the Malcolm Brogdon deal, Kendall Brown, Andrew Nemhard, and uh, yeah, for some reason, Davida Cervatis, who well, let's hope doesn't get a roster spot. The big one there, of course, is Matherin, who they picked uh, pick six in the NBA draft. Um, he had a really strong summer league. He played quite well in that and shot efficiently. My issue with Matherin from a fantasy perspective, I'm going to talk about this more later on in the preseason, is that guards like him, who really rely heavily on scoring, and I'm not really sure what else they're going to provide at this point. They, they can tend to struggle early on. Jalen Green, Anthony Edwards, who were much higher pedigree players coming in, they were dreadful for the first two to three months of the season. Does Matherin offer anything else apart from scoring, do you think, at this point in his career? Uh, I, I think you're right to say that it'll be mostly a scoring role. He could be a decent rebounder for a guard, but not a big numbers guy in that spot. And, you know, steals are something that when you're a good team defender, maybe you'll get there, but he's more of an on-ball dog, as they say, uh, for the defensive side of the ball. So I don't really project him to be much more than uh, a, a scorer type in his rookie season. Yeah, and uh, again, it's just it's such a, it's an archetype of players that we see come in. They they go out there, they struggle with efficiency in a really big way. They get probably too many shots that they, sh- that they should be tasked with at this early age. 
and they struggle. And we hope that it improves in March and April, as it has for Green and Edwards. As I said, Green and Edwards were top two picks. Uh, Matherin is not and was never really considered in that level. So it's a step down from there. So I think we just all need to temper some expectations based on, your, oh man, he was great in summer league. But that doesn't always translate across to the NBA when you don't have that many strings to your bow at this point. Let's talk quickly out of this group, Daniel Tice. Like, I know he had to come across sort of as salary matching purposes, but why is he still here? Like, why is he on the roster? Is he going to play? I don't see why you would. Is he the is he the backup center? Is he the fourth string center? What's he doing here? Yeah, if you just look like politically or, you know, you zoom out, it's like he's the second oldest pace series, the third highest played guy, like, or paid guy, you know, on a lot of teams or in a lot of situations. Like, that would matter to the point of him being in the rotation. And he's, he's okay. Like, he's an he's okay, okay player. The Celtics... <laughs> Celtics traded for him last year for a reason. Like, he's a good basketball player, but the Pacers have Miles Turner, who is better, and they have Goga and Isaiah Jackson and O'Shea Brissett and Terry Taylor and Jalen Smith, who they promised a starting job, also on their team. And they're young, and they would like to develop these young players. So while Tice is good, there's no room for him to play on the Pacers, even despite him being talented and being their third-highest-paid player and being this veteran who's over 30 years old. So maybe they look to deal him uh, at some point before the season starts or in the season, but I don't, I don't see how he would play or what his role would even be on this team. Yeah, Tice is a guy that I think on a good team plays well. On a bad team, he's dreadful. Like he was dreadful for the Rockets last season, but he played well on the Celtics because he's just that complimentary piece that if you have to force him to do anything that's sort of outside that role, I think he really struggles. And again, it just didn't work in Houston. And um, the Celtics did trade for him. I don't know whether they traded for him or they traded to get out of the Dennis Schroeder business, but that's an argument for another day. But he was there and he was contributing. In terms of the guys they lost, lost how many um, how many wakes were held around Indianapolis for the fact that Lance Stevenson hasn't been brought back? Brought back. <laughs> uh, 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 several people ask me on YouTube comments or Twitter comments every day if the Pacers will soon be signing Lance. As of now, they have uh, no spots to do so. But who knows? what the Pacers are up to. Well, at least they brought back Cervantes. They lost Brogdon, Ricky Rubio, who never played a game here, uh, Stevenson, Dwayne Washington, who's now in Phoenix, Gabe York, and Nate Hinton. And this is the thing I think everyone wants to hear about, Tony, outside of trades, which I, I would hope in an hour's time when this gets posted that no trades have gone down. But Miles Turner ended the season not playing again with a foot issue where expected expecting that he is ready to go to begin the season. And Chris Duarte battled that toe issue towards the end of last season as well. These guys are fit, healthy, ready to go. Uh, Turner, definitely. I think that if the Pacers were any good last year, there's a chance he could have played near the end of the season. Probably not till you know, late March, early April. But, you know, he's been working out this summer just fine, moving okay. I, I think he'll be good to go in the season start. Duarte... And I am very intrigued by what his injury happens to be because we went into summer league. Duarte played, uh, but in the very first summer league practice, he said, Coach Ronald Norad said, yeah, he's still dealing with this toe thing. We're watching it a little bit, which was stunning to me because it had now been four months at that time, three and a half months since it happened. And he still practiced, uh, you know, did everything in practice and played in one summer league game and was so good. They just pulled him. And now he's playing for the Dominican Republic. Like all the external signs say he's totally good to go. He's healthy, but. He said it still bugs him, and it's something that they're monitoring. So I think he's good to go, but the fact that it's it was something they felt like mentioning three and a half months later uh, is still noteworthy to an extent. 
And it was something that bothered him for, I feel like for about three months in season as well. I feel like he was in and out of the lineup and you, oh, maybe it's just tanking and all that sort of stuff. But you're right, if it's still persisting now, you know, is this just something that's just going to be a, an issue moving forward? Like, I don't, let's hope not. But it wasn't like it was one injury in season as well. He was sort of constantly in and out of the lineup. It, well, it felt to me from an external perspective that he was just in and out consistently with things happening um, there in that second half of the year. Yeah, and it's diff- it's different, I think, for the Pacers from an external perspective because they every player on their team was in and out of the lineup yeah, last true. season. So it's hard for me to remember who was consistently out versus in and out when their whole team got traded midseason and they had a big COVID absence at the end of December and various guys. It, it was impossible to keep track of the flow of injuries. But, yes, he did have a lot of spats in and out of the lineup before he was ultimately done in, in late February. We're going to talk about starting lineups in a second before we talk about that. If you keep on saying you need to make a budget, but you never do, and it's something you just keep missing your credit card payments, you're afraid to look at your bank statements, and it's time to take back control of your financial life. Meet Rocket Money, formerly Truebill, our favorite financial app. So why did Truebill change its name to Rocket Money? Well, basically now it's backed by Rocket Company, so there's that, and it's but it's grown from just a bill management app into a full-on personal finance empowerment tool that helps over 3.4 million people with budgeting, lowering bills, canceling subscriptions, and more, saving each of their members on average $700 a year. And with all that growth comes the next evolution in Truebill's story, a new name. Bottom line is Rocket Money is everything that you've loved about Truebill, but with a fresh look and feel. So start canceling your unused subscriptions and save money at rocketmoney.com slash locked on NBA. That's rocketmoney.com slash locked on NBA. We go download the app from the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. Tony, your projected starting five has Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Mathurin, Chris Duarte, Jalen Smith, and Miles Turner. I agree with four of those. I think that Again, we don't know because we don't know what the hell is happening with Buddy Heald or Miles Turner. But given the way that Buddy Heald has pissed and moaned at times in the past, and by times I mean every time that he hasn't been a starter, and the fact that when he came last season and played 35 minutes a night and was doing so much stuff for them, I thought they would go with him in there next to Matherin. But the Matherin, Heald, Duarte trio, two of those are going to start. And again, we, we don't know who it's going to be. Um, do you sort of see them all playing similar roles? Who would be the priority there out of that group, do you think? Yeah, but, you know, I, I hear a lot of those arguments of people who, you know, want to say for development purposes, maybe Duarte is the sixth man. He can have the ball more and put pressure there. To me, and from the Pacers' perspective, it would seem like they want to get those three guys, Duarte, Matherin, and Halliburton, as many minutes together as possible this year as they sort of develop and launch into whatever the next era of Pacers basketball is. Now, the, the opposite argument is like you just said. Buddy Heald got traded to the Pacers and was immediately way better, right? More rebounds, better assists, shooting well, was a good player. And one, that's helpful to have. But two, spacing is valuable for these young players. So him being out there, even if he isn't on the on the team long term, will be helpful for the development of these young guys. So I think that regardless of who starts and who comes off the bench, the minutes for these guys won't change too much uh, compared to if they had started or come off the bench anyway. So healed in for Duarte makes makes sense to me. I get why they would do that or even in for Mather. And I don't think they would do that, but I guess I would get it. But I think those three guys will take up a majority of those minutes at the two, three. Is there any issue with the fact that literally none of these guys are actually threes? Look, Duarte was a point guard in college. He's played you know, some mainly two last season, a little bit of three. Matherin is just not really big enough to be a three. Like he's sort of there, but he's not really. He's almost strictly a two. Healed has played a lot of three, but he's really a two. Like there's the only three on this roster is Kendall Brown, and he's not not going to be in the rotation really. Like there's just no wings here. 
Yeah, you know, I've covered the Pacers for five years, and uh, Justin Holiday kind of, and Doug McDermott yeah. kind of, and yeah. that's it. I mean, they they haven't really ever had Tory Craig last year for a little bit before they traded him away. I mean, they have never really had quality. It was basically since they lost Bogdanovich in 2019, 2018, they haven't really had quality wings. They've been makeshifting it with guys like O'Shea Brissett, who's better at the four, and like you said, Buddy Heald, and things like that to kind of get through and get by. And Duarte's close to wing size. He's 6'5", 6'6"-ish, but I think most would cast him as a guard instead of a wing. So, yeah, whoever's there, even if it is Brissett coming down from the four, will likely be out of position a lot of the time. Jalen Smith really didn't get a look in in Phoenix, came to Indiana, played pretty well. They were limited in what they could sign him. They did sign him, and they have promised him a starting job, which seemed weird on the surface, but I don't really know who else they're going to give it to because he is significantly better than what O'Shea Brissett is. And... And I know that I argue against this, and there are a lot of people who who play fantasy and look at the way that fantasy sites give designations and go, well, they'll just play Isaiah Jackson at the four because he's listed as a power forward. Um, he played at the four, like, I think zero minutes last season. They, he is not a power forward. He is a, he is a center, and unless you want to disagree with me on that. So Smith, to me, is, is clearly that best option there. And yeah, Jackson's just not a four, is he? Yeah, uh, Jackson ideally should be a five. The franchise did try last year to say, this guy can play the four. And to be fair, he can defend a lot of positions to the point that it wouldn't be bad if he played the four. Like, I think they'll try just to come out there with another big uh, at times this season. But yeah, I mean, he's going to be more naturally a five, especially offensively when he doesn't have any real shooting touch or floor game. So He'll get bullied by post players defensively at the five, and that's why I think they'll try to, to have him at least this coming season at the four a little bit. But I think naturally as his career grows, yes, he is definitely a five long-term. Why did they promise Smith this job so early? <laughs> Good question is my actual answer. Uh, look, part of it was, like you mentioned earlier, they had some contract limitations to even keep him in Indiana, right? It, they were the only team in the league bound by this rule because of how rookie-scale contracts work. So... Know, making it a big deal when they signed him and having this big promotion and promising him the starting spot and giving him the player option. They did everything they could to keep him, and I think that that was part of it. Now, he was good for them last year. I think you know the numbers behind yeah, it. Like He, he actually was a good player for them. I would never promise really anyone a starting spot when their career has been inconsistent to this point, but he was legitimately good for them. I think giving him playing time is important, but I was pretty surprised they were on July 6th ready to say, this guy – is our starting power forward this coming season. Yeah, the, the saying it is the issue, because I look at the roster and go, there's actually nobody else who I would have even entertained that would have had that spot. Like, O'Shea Brissett, I, he, look, he's absolutely fine as a ninth man. Like, that's he's a backup. That's what he is. He's not a good starting player. And Jalen Smith's the guy you want to try and develop there. But just coming out and saying, wow, like, like this is like the crown jewel in everything we've ever done in our history, that Jalen Smith is bang, he's starting, let's go from there. Like, maybe, but... No, it needed to be announced. So that was a little bit weird to me. In terms of the rest of the rotation, 10-man group here, we've got TJ McConnell, Buddy Heald, Aaron Neesmith, Brissett, and Jackson. Um, I'm not convinced that Neesmith is an NBA-quality player, but they don't really have many other options there to, to get into that role. Where's the where's the Red Rooster Terry Taylor fit into this group? Yeah, I think you know he actually production-wise was you know as good numerically as Brissett or Jackson last year. I think it's tougher when you're a six foot five player who's best at center, especially given where the Pacers have most of their young guys, you know, Brissett, Jackson, Batadze, who we haven't even discussed yet, even Turner's young, Jalen Smith, our front court players, fitting in Terry Taylor's hard unless they're willing to play him 
at the three. And if his three-point shot improves, maybe that would make some sense. He did have a little bit of floor game last year. So to fit him in, one of Brissett or Neesmith would have to play less or not at all. And like you said, maybe Neesmith just truly isn't an NBA player. They're they're going, I think they're going to try. He's an ex-lottery pick and a key part of the Brogdon trade return. But there's a chance Terry Taylor's just better now. And they just insert him as the backup three. So I don't think he'll start the season in the rotation, but he was good enough for them last year that He's got a good shot of taking Brissett or Neesmith or even Jackson's minutes if he if he plays well. Give us the the good word here. Look, what where are we at with Turner and Heald? Like, are we expecting them to be in on this team in camp, Christmas deadline? Like, what's what's the story here? Yeah, that's a li- it's similar for both. That look, the Pacers have 15 players signed right now, and I think 11 of them are 25 or younger. Right, it's very clear what their direction is and and what their plan is for this season and even maybe next year too. Uh, Buddy Heald is older than that. Miles Turner's 26. He's barely older than that. But I think that that is the crux of it is they are not in the Pacers range of like clear development young players. Now with Turner, the other factor is his contract is expiring. Like they're not going to lose him for nothing, even if it means they sell him for pennies on the dollar compared to offers they've gotten in the past. I don't think he makes it on the team past February if he has not signed a contract extension. Heald's got two years left. He's a little overpaid. The Lakers apparently want him. And the Pacers have to get to the salary floor somehow at some point. So it seems like to me one or both of them could get traded for like a massive contract in return. And that's a way to get a better asset in exchange for them. So I think it's more likely than not neither of them finish the season with the Pacers. But uh, Turner is is substantially less likely to finish the year than Buddy is with the team, just given that he is on an expiring deal. Oh, so let's phrase it this way then. If Russell Westbrook does arrive in Indiana, does he actually play for Indiana? Uh, no, I would say there is a, Thank you. a lot of John Wall in Houston last year potential for that situation. Let's talk about some younger guys on this team. I'm looking at guys you know, 22 and under. We've talked Matthew. We've talked a little bit about Isaiah Jackson. What about Kendall Brown? We talked about wing size players and they have none. Like They have one. That's, that's Kendall Brown who um, defensively I think can be pretty good, but offensively pretty limited in terms of yeah, lack of usage, lack of aggression, lack of three-point shooting. They're probably not going to give him much of an opportunity immediately, but what, what are your thoughts on seeing him in Summer League? Yeah, he was, he was impressive in Summer League to me with his speed and athleticism, which is something they have really leaned on in recent seasons as traits that they liked. You know, we're Carlisle even calling out, like, we're not going to be last in the league in dunks anymore. You know, they want to be a more athletic team. And Ronald Norad, their Summer League head coach and assistant coach, was saying that one day in practice they were doing you know, some sort of sprints, line touching drills. And he turned away for about two seconds and turned back and Kendall Brown was, you know, 20, 30 feet ahead of every other player. He is really fast. He is very athletic. That is his traits. Like you said, though, there are a lot of holes in his game that prevent him from being an everyday player or a guy they consider for the rotation. So I think he could have a chance to be around the Pacers a lot if he's on a two-way or even get a, a roster spot because he is one of their only wings because of they need to hit the salary floor somehow. And they traded to get him. Like they didn't have the pick that mm. they got him with. They traded for it. I think they do like him, but he still isn't signed. It's not really clear what they're trying to figure out to do with his roster spot at this time. So I think that they do like him. I think there's a chance maybe late in the season, he sniffs the rotation kind of like what happened with Dwayne Washington and Terry Taylor to a lesser extent this past season. Uh, but I think at the start of the year, he'll probably be one of their back end of the roster guys to try to figure out what he is. You see, he still isn't signed. Hmm. It's correct. He's officially not signed, which uh very telling for a team that, you know, may or may not be uh, looped into a three-team trade for that, a star. That point, is so. uh, very I – th- I thought I saw a while ago that he signed a two-way, but apparently not. 
Interesting. That is reportedly what he will sign, but I hmm. think I mean they could do that any time. The fact that they haven't yet is very telling to me. Yeah, that is hmm, that is really interesting because I've just got it listed as yeah two way. I saw it somewhere that he was signing a two way, and you are correct. He has actually not signed, and he remains a second round pick who is not signed. Uh, that's him and uh, Christian Coloco is another one in Toronto who's a second round pick who just hasn't signed a deal yet. So who knows what's going on now? Pacers owner. Herb Simon is notoriously anti-tanking. You know, we'd rather push and be good and give the people something interesting to watch. We saw them pack it away for the last six weeks, two months of last season. Does Herb Simon have the stomach? Does Rick Carlisle have the stomach to do it for another season? Or are they going to be, you know, yep, hey, let's push for the plan. Let's see what we've got. We've tanked for our one season. Halliburton's our jewel here. We've got Matherin to develop along him. There's a lot of people who are worried, like, I'm not going to draft Horace Halliburton in fantasy because the Pacers are just going to shut him down. Whereas in last season, they were tanking. They played him like 37 minutes a night. So how's the, what's, what's, the tanking, what's the tanking idea? Are they embracing it? Will they sit these guys down again? Like not the older guys. Will they sit the younger guys down? Like what's the plan here? I think they will try to win every game they can i also think they have a bad team <laughs> you know <laughs> like true. marrying marrying up those points in the context of what people consider tanking can be challenging like they will be bad they will not win a lot of games they have you know the the third lowest over under win total of any team in the league for DraftKings right now like i think it's only san antonio and houston that are lower like they just have a bad team and so if they shut down young players, like that's clearly tanking. But that they only shut down, even if you will, Brogdon last year. Like it's not something they do. It's not something Herb Simon likes to do. So I think that it took a lot for them to even convince him last year that winning 26 games would be better than winning 36. So I think that this year it's easier for them to say, we have a bad team, but we will try our hardest every single night to win games and it will be better for us long term so it depends how you define tanking you know if you think that losing on purpose or shutting guys down is tanking i don't think they will do that sort of thing i just think they're naturally not very good this year i agree i i agree that these guys but halliburton is going to play as much as he can because they want to stay they love um you know seeing these guys put up numbers and like hey if he works his way into all-star discussion that's something that they'll just promote the shit out of for the next two years look at our young all-star guard and yet to bring people in and to, to build up from there so they, they will give these guys plenty of opportunities now we've talked a little bit about miles turner already and jalen smith and isaiah jackson is this the plan for the front court of the future like this is what we're going to see like this is what they want jackson smith bang we're set here yeah, I think so. Maybe Brissett's mixed in a little bit, although they could have given him, you know, sent him into restricted free agency and kept him for longer this summer, and they they didn't do that. So I I, I think Smith's in there. I think Jackson's in there. We we've said Goga's name twice. I have no idea. Oh, you're without Zephyr because he started over Jackson last season. Like when that Turner was out, Goga was the starter, not Jackson. And I thought he played well. And I think Goga's yeah, actually a starting caliber, low end, but starting caliber player in the NBA. I just don't think it's on this team. Post All Star break, he was really solid was. this past season. One one challenge with him is the new Pacers, like I just talked about, that Rick Carlisle's talking about with athleticism and speed. Goga's good at a lot of things. Being fast and athletic are not two of them. So <laughs> I think that he is probably on the outside just because of the style they're choosing. And I think Jackson and Smith and maybe Turner or Brissett or another young big sneaks in as their front court of the future. But right now, it's not totally clear since Turner and Goga are still around. We haven't really talked about Tyrese Halliburton. I'm going to talk about him in a, in a second, but he is the primary creator. And we saw last season that Buddy Heald took on that sort of secondary creation role. 
I don't know if Heald can do that full-time for a full season. Duarte's got, I guess, some ability there. Like, do you see it as Duarte is going to have to be that guy? So that's why he'll be in that starting lineup because, you know, Smith can't handle the ball. Turner is one of the worst passers and dribblers in the NBA. Um, so who who's, do they look to to be that secondary guy? Because Halliburton, I think if you task Halliburton with being the guy that runs every single action, every single play, it's it's going to fail to a degree. Like he just can't have that level of load. So who is going to be that? Or, or is, is Mather and someone they develop into that role? I think Duarte and Heald have the best chance to do it early in the season. Like you said, like, I, I didn't watch a ton of the Kings, but I never saw Buddy Hill dribble around a screen and pass never. as much as he did with the Pacers. No, like, it was it was and, crazy. And, and, and he, How different it, he was. was. I don't know. It, he like doubled his assist rate. Everything just I, – I did not believe that it was happening. I'd never seen it before. It. I say this a lot just as a weird anecdote, but like, you know, a lot of players get traded and they get to their new team and they say, you know, I really enjoyed my time with the old team. I'm excited to get started here, right? Buddy Hill got to Indiana and he was like <laughs> – yeah, I hated I hated the Kings. <laughs> you know, like it's so rare that it was kind of refreshing that he was just so honest about it. Buddy Hill said he hated the Kings really when he was in Sacramento. Like when he was there, he was like, I hate this team. Can you get me out of here? Like you if you ask any Kings reporter, they go, like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. He hated it for like years. Like he was he wasn't shy about it. So I think some of some of it was he was just like, Yes, this is awesome, this is new, this is refreshing. And maybe if he's still starting, like you said, a role that he thinks he should have maybe he he can continue to do that. I think Duarte has showed some of it last year, not a lot. His passing's kind of limited right now, but his reads improved quickly as the season went on. I think those two will be the guys they liked would like to do it. And then as the season gets later on and wins become less important or they they sell off bets or whatever, they'll try to sh- force feed Mather and to do it as much as they can and see if they can develop some of that down the stretch. Who's a breakout candidate on this team? Is it Halliburton? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a, a lot of places have him as the favorite for most improved, if I'm not mistaken. I don't check odds too much, uh, but near the top of that sort of thing. And, you know, he, he put up really good stats when he played without Brogdon last year. I mean, it, it's really obvious to me that he ha- he can read the game at a high level and this team plays in a way that's beneficial to him. I think he's a guy that uh, has a really good opportunity to become, you know, one of the, the faces of the Eastern Conference at some point in the next couple of years. I guess the question is with him is, like, can he actually be – the number one. Can he be a 25-plus usage player? Can he average 20 points? I'm not sure he's got that level of aggression in his offensive game, especially if he is playing next to Mather and a Heald because they're not going to be shy about taking shots. So does he? can he establish himself? I think he can run the team. There is no problem with that. He can be their best player. He can be hyper-efficient. But can he be a guy that just dominates possessions, just gets out there and, and drops 20 a night? Or is he going to be like more like a Chris Paul who would average you know, 18 or 19 and 10 rather than 25 and 8? Yeah, I think that that's something he'll, he'll – he's himself had to, to say I've had to work on that you know he isn't always as aggressive as he needs to be or isn't looking for a shot as much. So I think like he could he could set the Pacers franchise record for assists for example, but I don't know that he'll necessarily be a 20 to 25 points a game score. You know, one comp that has always come up to me in terms of the combination of passing and shooting is Mark Price from the Cavs, Mm. uh, you know, in the late 80s to mid 90s. And he would never reach 20 points a game in his career, despite being a super talented player, multi-time all-star. You know, that sort of statistical threshold makes a lot of sense to me for Tyrese. I think he can, like you said, be their engine, be their best player, but not going to be a really high usage putting up all the shots type of guy. Is there anyone that's a regression candidate? That is a good question. Jalen Smith actually stands yeah. out to me, ironically, in that way. Like, I, I know he ended up with good stats with the Pacers, but first 11 games, 
Uh, he was at 42% from three. And then the last 11 games, I think he was down to 32 or 31. You know, who knows how much it was just a flash in the pan that coincided with the trade that, wow, this guy's really good. And I think he'll be better than he was with the Suns. You know, he clearly showed that he can do more with a bigger role. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that could not maybe reach the level he was at with the Pacers for a lot of time last season, especially if he's overcast in the starting role. Outside of that, though, it's hard for me to think of anyone that, you know, is super aging out of their role or might not play too much. Maybe TJ McConnell, but he barely played last year. I don't know what his role is even going to be for this team long term. So I think Smith's probably the biggest one to me. McConnell was a favorite of past coaches, but Carlisle wasn't as enamored with his with his game. And I was worried about that heading into last season. That And then he got injured, of course, but he was a very different role for TJ. Um his lack of shooting and his absolute need to have the ball in his hands to have anything impactful happen. Is there a chance that he is like overtaken by Nemhard at some point this season? Like it doesn't, he doesn't feel like a Carlisle player to me. Yeah. You know, like everybody, when um, he came here was kind of like, Oh, look, the next JJ Barea, right. Yeah, no. Who Carlisle loved and played all the time. But JJ Barea could kind of shoot, you know, he was like a 35 to 40% outside shooter, three attempts a game. And, so McConnell has a lot of similar qualities. I, I get why well, they got compared, he's white. but <laughs> and tiny and yeah, yeah and fast, but not, not the Bray uh, is white necessarily. Well. But yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> Carlisle is very much encouraging. If you're in the game, I, I think you should shoot. And McConnell can't really shoot. They don't jive perfectly. McConnell was good for the Pacers at times last year. Like those are three games stretch where he was their best player, and it looked like he might save their season in November before he got hurt. Uh, but I, I think at some point, as this team pivots to use McConnell's their oldest player, you know, they might look to get Nembard in there. They just gave him the biggest contract for a second-round pick ever, like ever, in terms of guaranteed money. They clearly like him some, despite you know, some turnover struggles in summer league. So, yeah, I think at some point they have to make that pivot and turn. And maybe that's your question earlier about you know tanking. That would be a, a not tanking move, but closer to it of, Let's put this 22-year-old inexperienced guy in over TJ McConnell. He had the uh, the biggest second year or second round contract ever. Like that was yeah, the overtook the guy that signed the contract two days before. That overtook the guy that signed the contract <laughs> two days right. before, and then Kennedy Chandler two days before that. There's like four guys in a row that all that all took on that mantle. This is an easy one, Tony. Is this team better than last season? Uh, no, <laughs> Thank they you. are worse. They don't have Sabonis. They don't have Levert. They don't have Brogdon. Ironically, though, with how many close games they actually lost last year, more stability, no coaching change. I think they'll win about the same number of, of games, but their net rating will be a lot worse and they will be worse. I know we know that the most likely players to be traded are Heald and Turner, but who's is Turner the singular most likely player to be traded? I would say so, given his that his contract is expiring, that at some point this year he will you know, either be extended or be on the move. I mean, there's no point of, of keeping him through the year unless somehow they're really good or in the playoff picture, but that would be very stunning to me. So I think he's definitely the, the single most likely to be traded player. All right, now some fun to end things out. Some quiz questions for you, Tony. Bas uh -oh. Basketball Index has a bunch of metrics, um, and the three that I've been looking at, three-point shooting talent, playmaking talent, and finishing talent. It's not the highest percentage from three-point land. It's about self-creation. It's about difficulty of shots. It's about you know, basically who's the guy that you think is the best three-point shooter that when you need a three, whatever it needs to be done with catch and shoot in the corner, off the break, pull-up logo, whatever it is, um, that's the guy you want. Playmaking, it's not about assists. It's about 
some of it's assists. It's about potential assists and getting guys open and getting assists to the right spot and versatility of passes and finishing's about, you know, driving through contact. Some of it's finishing at the rim, but some of it's driving and drawing fouls and you know, just basically who's the best finisher. So I want to see how the people that cover the team would view that for guys that ended the team on the, uh, ended the season on the team last, last year. So you're not including uh, or guys were still on the team. So not including a Brogdon, not including a Sabonis, those sort of guys. So, Let's look at who you think would have graded out as having the highest three-point shooting talent for this this team. It's got to be Buddy Heald. I mean, he is a great shooter and takes a lot of tough threes. Well, I, I think it's got to be Buddy Heald. I thought it was going to be Buddy Heald as well, but it was actually Tyrese Halliburton that graded out oh, higher because he you know, he had an insane like 42% shooting, I think he was, from three. So he, uh, he graded out there. Um, playmaking talent. I, I would have guessed the guy who just won the three point one, Tyrese Halliburton. Although I, I suppose McConnell gets in the lane a lot, but I think it's got to be Tyrese. Yeah, <laughs> it is definitely Tyrese. And if you get this one, you are a certified Pacers genius who graded out as the best finisher on this team, highest finishing talent. Yeah, when I read through it, I kind of thought maybe Duarte or Isaiah Jackson. They do pretty well around the rim, but nobody, nobody really stood out to me. O'Shea Brissett kind of dunks a lot, so uh, I, I don't have a good answer. So I guess I'll just go with uh, Chris Duarte. I don't know if I have a good answer either, but I have the actual answer, and that is the Red Rooster, Terry Taylor. Hey, that's not surprising. He, uh, I think that the highest graded guy on the Pacers last season was Sabonis, but of course he's not on this team anymore, so he doesn't count in that area. So it is uh, Terry Taylor, who was the highest rated guy there. Now, last question for you, if I can bring it up. Tyrese Halliburton, we know that you know, orchestrated a lot of the offense. He had the ball. He generated a ton of assists. But who assisted Tyrese Halliburton the most last wow. season? Holy cow. I mean, Buddy Heald and him played the most together, so that feels like the most natural answer, but I feel like you wouldn't be putting it up as a trick question, but Buddy Heald's my guess. Buddy Heald is correct. So, Buddy, yes, I, think, right. and I think he like tripled the next guy in terms of who was setting up Tyrese Halliburton, which again, for Buddy Heald, who just generates no assists ever in his career when he was dropping like four a night, it, it didn't make any sense, but it's what happened and we'll see if it carries over. Tony, that is the Indiana Pacers covered for this off-season, pre-season. I'm sure there'll be other stuff happening with them in the coming weeks and months. And hey, if people want to hear all about it, they can find you over at Locked on Pacers. What's going on at Locked on Pacers this week? Yeah, we got an interview with a player who uh, actually signed with the Magic this summer, played for the Pacers in Summer League. Talk about that experience, run through their schedule, talking about Rick Carlisle coaching this team. Lots of fun stuff, especially with FIBA play coming up. So just to see these guys play uh, on Locked on Pacers this week. Go check that out over at Locked On Pacers YouTube and wherever you find podcasts. Tony, thanks for coming on Locked On Fantasy Basketball with me. Thanks for having me, Josh. And that will do it for me today with the Pacers. I'll be back later on with another couple of shows, team previews coming today. So stay tuned for those. Follow Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. If you're here on YouTube, thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.